Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so glad you are here. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series of our NBC webinar series. I am joined today with Abigail Johnston, and she is here with us to interview two dear friends of ours, Christine Hodgden and Julia Mouse. You probably recognize these amazing women because they are the co-founders of GRASP, which we're going to get into in next week's episode and taking a deep dive in their amazing work. But today, I really wanted to spend some time on these two women who are living with metastatic disease. They share their stories and provide an immense opportunity for hope and just all-around positivity. If you're new to Breast Cancer Conversations and our organization, survivingbreastcancer.org, I do encourage you to check out all of our resources on our website, as well as our weekly and monthly events that we have. Check them all out at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. And we look forward to seeing you at an upcoming online event, workshop, or meetup. I was diagnosed in April, and I thought that I was going to go through chemo throughout the summer and then I was going to die. That's what I thought. I thought that's yeah. how it's going to go because that's all I know. This is how it's going to be. I kept getting better. Like I actually was exercising through chemo and, and like, I just, I looked good. Everybody thought I looked good, even though I was going through chemo and I was losing my hair. They were like, you're glowing. Like you just look really strong. And, and so I kind of figured I, like at some point I was like, maybe, maybe this is going to be okay for me. Maybe I'm going to make it. And we did a scan in August and I had NED, even the spot on my lung was gone. For me, it's very important to be like that, that one person that someone knows that lived for that long, because I know that person for me. Welcome to the conversation. It's such a sobering reality that we lose so many amazing, wonderful people but yet we have the opportunity to highlight some of the efforts of those of us who are living with this disease. So that's what this series is, is to talk about the things that other people aren't talking about, but to also elevate those uh, people who are taking what was probably the worst possible thing to happen and has turned that into a purpose and has turned that into something amazing, which is what both Julia and Christine have done with, with GRASP. Julia, would you like to introduce yourself first? So I'm originally from Brazil. I have um, been living in the U.S. for about half my life. I came for college and have stayed. I never thought I would be doing anything with cancer or science. Uh, I studied economics and used to work for the central bank. And then I was diagnosed at 29 uh, with breast cancer while I was pregnant with my son. And those were some very, very crazy days. Um, I received chemotherapy while pregnant, delivered um, my son, and after his birth, discovered that the cancer was already spread. Um, So started treatment for metastatic breast cancer. And that was in 2013. That baby is now almost nine years old. I had some very rough times um, in the beginning, especially due to brain meds and heart problems. But, you know, over time, we 
did find treatment that was right for me and um, I have been able to manage it um, and I'm very fortunate to still be here. Absolutely. Julia, did you run into doctors who weren't willing to take your concerns seriously while you were pregnant? I know that not many people get diagnosed while they're pregnant. Yeah. No, so my, um, I had an OB that was, she, she believed me the first time that I showed it to her. I think she might have said, let's, let's take a look in two weeks uh, if it has changed. But it was not a very long time. Um, and, and so then she insisted that I do the ultrasound right away. And yeah, Good. definitely heard many terrible stories. But I myself was, was lucky with, with my doctors. It, it is very different for those of us who are diagnosed prior to getting mammograms, just in terms of who, who we see. I was breastfeeding, tandem breastfeeding my boys when I was diagnosed in. It's kind of a no man's land, but just, you know, what, what doctor treats you for breastfeeding? There, there aren't, there aren't breastfeeding doctors. And so you kind of fall into that weird, like, where do you go when, when you have something going on? I ended up at my PCP, but when you know something is wrong, follow up and make sure that, that you get the medical treatment that, that you need. Thank you, Abigail and Julia. Christine, can we turn things to you? And if you could give yourself an introduction. My name is Christine Hodgson, and I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in 2015. I did have a bad story with a doctor where I had a surgeon that I had an OBGYN who referred me to a surgeon, and the surgeon told me that I was too young to have cancer, and I didn't have any history of breast cancer in my family. I was 34 years old. It took about eight months for me to get my actual diagnosis. He refused to biopsy. When he did, it finally came back, um, and of course, we were hoping for an early stage but um, on further, upon further scanning, we, we saw that there was something in my lung. So I did have a very small metastasis in my, in my lung, which made me metastatic. Christine, I believe you have what is called oligometastatic breast cancer, where you don't have multiple mets throughout the body, but you know a smaller number. Am I saying that correctly? I have like very, and oligo can mean three to four sites. It doesn't have to be one, but I literally had one six millimeter. So like a little over half a centimeter met in my lung. And that's what made me metastatic. And, and maybe now in 2022, I would have been treated differently, um, maybe more aggressively, but they kind of said stage four, that's it. We're going to do a lumpectomy. So I didn't have to do a mastectomy. And, and um, I, I'm kind of grateful that I didn't have to do super aggressive treatment. And my you know, I've been seven years now NED and stable. So I'm okay with that. I was okay with less aggressive. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely a difference. Now I think they're treating oligometastatic very differently. And, and depending on the site of the metastasis as well, from, from what I understand. But I, I think one of the things that I was so impressed by was um, from a quality of life perspective, when you got back to your oncologist and said, Yep, Perceptin and Progetta together work great, but I don't want to be on Progetta anymore. <laughs> yes. I had How a long very, has it been? It's been, um, so it was like right when the pandemic started is when I said I, I would really like to drop this drug. I had been on it for five years. I had really bad uh, itching, puritis, I think is the technical term. Um, my arms, my scalp, my neck, and it was almost akin to pain where like I really oh, couldn't like focus anymore. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't function. 
And um, I found out through the community, not my doctors, but I found out through the social media community that um, it was due to this drug for Jetta. And so I had a, a conversation with my oncologist and it was a negotiation where I said, I just really would really like to try just Herceptin. And with the pandemic, I like the idea of being in the infusion center for less time. It like cut my time in half. So there were many reasons why, and I'm very fortunate and privileged to have that option that I had been stable for so long that they allowed me to do it. So I still take Herceptin and I'm also on Tamoxifen because I am triple positive. So I've kind of got two targets to hit. And, uh, but I'm so much happier without Progetta, I have to say. <laughs> it just changed my life in, in such a good way. I was just so much happier. So. so the moral of the story is there are, there's lots of data out there on how these drugs work, but we're all individuals. And I'm so glad your oncologist let you try. Um, I'm sure if something had started to go sideways, they would put you right back on the, the project. Yeah, or we would have had to discuss another line because I was seriously never going to go back on that drug. That was how bad the side effects are that I just was like, I'm never doing this again. So yeah, it would have just, but I mean, what I always tell stage four patients is, is that we're in uncharted territory. So they really don't know. So they don't right. really know that people haven't been living this long with metastatic disease. So now we're kind of like, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that had been on Progetta for that long. And for be, to be able to say that it actually took two years for the symptom to develop, which is why a lot of why I didn't get caught in the clinical trials. And it took about a year for the symptoms to stop, even after I stopped the drug. Wow. So yeah, so there is, just, there's just a lot that they don't know. And, you know, you are an, a patient of one and you are individual. And yes, it's good to look at data and stats, but um, it, it is a little different for each person. Yes. And asking for specifics is not a bad thing. So if your doctor says, this is what happens, it's totally fine to say, do you have a patient I can talk to the way that happened? Or do you have a paper um, that says that? Or is there another doctor that I can go talk to? And um, I'm sure you guys would agree that if you start asking questions and your doctor gets a little squirrely, that's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yep. I agree. <laughs> yes. So um, there was a question, Julia, for you about how long you've been living with brain mets. You had brain mets from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It is my nine year anniversary of my, in theory, it's the early stage diagnosis because I didn't get the confirmation of mets until August when, after my son was born, but yeah, almost nine years. Which absolutely um, shows that there's hope that people can be living with this disease. It's not an immediate death sentence. Um, in our newly diagnosed group, we were talking this morning just about how at the beginning, you just don't know how to put what the doctors are saying into context. But talking with people who have been living for a year, five years, nine years, whatever it is, can really help you put what the doctors are saying into context. I'm very, very fortunate to still be alive with the diagnosis that I had and I realize how rare it is to live that long with that complicated of a case. For me, it's very important to be like that, that one person that someone knows that lived for that long because I know that person for me, you know? And when I heard about Terlisa, I thought she was a legend. And, you know, the day that well, I... Well, she kind of is a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just and be I honest. She was not a person. Just oh, oh, oh. a legend. <laughs> um, and like it's real. Like knowing that it it's 
factual. Like there, yes. it is possible. There is someone that has lived with NBC for 20 plus years. And that that's really, really, um, I think all we are looking for when we hear all these tragic stories, but is there a good story? Is there, you know, would it be irrational to have that hope? And no, I don't think yeah. it is. I really believe hope is what keeps us going. We need to have it in some form, some sparkle of light, some sort of essence of there is hope out there. So thank you both Julia and Christine for sharing your personal stories, your diagnosis, living with metastatic disease. And I want to invite all of our listeners back next week because Julia and Christine are going to be sharing a deep dive in their organization, GRASP. You can check them out in advance at graspcancer.org and definitely come back next week because we are going to talk about the amazing work that they're doing. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice. If you want to hang out again, please check out survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events where you can RSVP to our Thursday Night Thrivers weekly meetup, our Movement Monday classes, workshops, seminars, and so much more. We can also continue the dialogue online via social media. Our Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBC underscore ORG. Until next time, keep on thriving.